Now, this is something that we don't do that much of, speaking personally anymore. But my subject I want to share with you this morning on is uh, let's take a walk together. Let's take a walk together. There was a time, of course, when it was very common for people to take walks together because to get to any location, you usually went there by walking. And imagine the fellowship that people had as they walked uh, together. Of course, the Bible times, this is what you find all the time. In the stories from the New Testament is you find that they walk to different places. And of course, as you walk with somebody, you talk with the person. The level of communication would be very, uh, very deep. You'd have a wonderful opportunity to get to know the people that you're walking with. So this morning, I want to suggest that we take a walk together. So it's let's take a walk together. The walk I want to take with you this morning is not out into the snowy elements, but I want to take a walk back in time. I want to take a walk with you back to the book of Exodus in the Bible. I want to begin in Exodus chapter 23 with you. And I want to present something to you this morning I've never presented before. This, we Perhaps we have read these passages before, but we have never really taken a walk where we have looked at these passages in the way we're going to look at them this morning. So let me begin in Exodus chapter 23 and verse 1. And this is basically just kind of a little introduction because it begins by saying, Thou shalt not raise a false report. And let me go back to a commentary written by John Gill about 270 years ago. 270 years ago, John Gill wrote this commentary relative to the passage, Thou shalt not raise a false report. And he, and, and he writes this, You shall not raise a false report of a neighbor or of any man whatever, either secretly or by private slanders, whispers, backbiting, and tail-bearing by innuendos, detracting from his good name and credit, suggesting things false and wicked concerning him, or publicly in a court of justice, bringing a false accusation, laying a false charge, and bearing a false testimony against him. Thou shalt not receive a false report. And he says, if there were not so many that say, report and we will report it. Now just think about this and relate this now to modern era that we're living in. He said, if there were not so many that would say, report or say it, and we will report it, that are ready to receive every ill thing of their neighbors, there would not be so many that would raise such ill things of them. Everything of this kind should be discountenanced, and especially by judges in courts of justice who are chiefly spoken to and of in the context. These should not easily receive every charge and accusation brought, nor bear or endure a false report as the word also signifies, but they should discourage and even punish it. Now, this made great sense back in about 1750 when this was written. This was made marvelous sense. I'd say it makes marvelous sense now. But the kind of thinking that men like John Gill had and brought to the commentary of the scripture, that kind of thinking was furnished by the word itself. That kind of thinking, where what made sense, what was reasonable, was furnished and supplied by an understanding of the word itself. 
So I begin with that in example of enlightened thinking. But I want to take you further on in the 23rd chapter of Exodus to about verse 20. And this has to do with entering into the promised land into Canaan. And let me say to you this morning that there's a very important part in Scripture when it comes to understanding Scripture and that has to do with type and anti-type. Now the type is an illustration. The type is a symbol or a likeness. The anti-type is the full revelation or the fullness of what the type points to. So the idea of a parable could be used as a type or an illustration. The anti-type would be the full meaning of what that parable projects. Now, what you have in the Old Testament of Scripture is marvelous. You have an actual history of Israel. And in the history, literal history of Israel, that literal history is a kind of type. And the anti-type or the ultimate fulfillment of that is found in the new covenant and the way in which the Lord deals with his people. In other words, the spiritual fulfillment of what is suggested and illustrated in the type. So we're going to go back in our walk together. We're going to go back to Exodus chapter 23. And we're going to read what the Lord said about the nation of Israel and how he is bringing them now to the promised land. The promised land, Israel entering into the promised land, a very literal event actually happened in history. But that literal event that occurred in history is a type when it comes to the spiritual revelation of and provision for the Lord's people to enter into the fullness of his provisions. So entering into Canaan for us as the church is to enter into the fullness of the provisions that the Lord has provided for us and to walk in that place that he has provided. The idea of Israel coming out of Egypt is they walked They did what they were capable of doing, but they were able to walk out of Egypt. They were able to walk out through the Red Sea, which was supernaturally parted. So there was a way for them to walk that was provided supernaturally. They walked out doing what they could do, but on a path that they did not provide. Now, when it came time for them to enter into the Promised Land and cross the Jordan River, there was a similar circumstance. The river was swollen at flood tide. It needed to be supernaturally prepared for them so that they could walk through. And that's what happened. There was a path made through the waters and they walked on the provided path. Now that's the way in which we enter into the fullness of the promises made by the Lord Jesus Christ. He made the way, he made the path. We walk on the path that he has made. We don't provide the path. We're not able to provide the path. What are we able to do? We're able to walk. And what is walking for us is obedience, obedience to what he says. So in Exodus 23 and verse 20, this is what now the Lord God says to Moses. Behold, I send an angel before you to keep you in the way and to bring you into the place which I have prepared. The Lord says, I send an angel before you. I am sending an angel before you. You know the word angel, what it means. It means messenger. 
Now, in this particular context, what this tells us is that God is saying to Moses, I'm going to send, I want, I'm going to send you to the place that I've prepared for you. It's a promised land for the nation of Israel. But I'm going to send an angel before you. He'll go before you. He'll go ahead of you. Now, in this case, the angel would be an angel from heaven, a messenger from the Lord, a messenger from heaven. Sometimes the word angel, which means messenger, can be a human being, someone who is called to go with the message the Lord has given them. But in this context, it's speaking about an angel from heaven, an angel who stands in the presence of God. And this angel would not be seen by the natural eye, but the, 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 the angel is very real, and he, this angel, will go before them, ahead of the people, as they walk and as they proceed. So he said, I'm sending an angel before thee to keep thee in the way and to bring thee into the place which I have prepared. And so the angel will keep you in the right path, and the angel will actually lead you into the place that I have prepared for you. I want you to think this morning about the corollary, if you like, in the New Covenant of how that a path has been prepared and a way has been prepared and a place has been prepared for you and me. And a way has been made for us to walk into the fullness of those provisions. And so what was true here now of the literal nation of Israel in the spiritual fulfillment of that is also true in our lives. Okay, so the next verse said, and the Lord speaking to Moses, he said this. He said, beware of him. Beware of him. Beware of whom? Beware of the angel. That means be very careful with regards to him. Be aware of him. Consider him. Know that he is there. Don't forget about him. Then he said, and obey his voice. Obey his voice that there would be a communication between this angel and Moses. That there would be a leading. That there would be a communication. And so the Lord said, obey his voice. He said, provoke him not. Provoke him not. That means, provoke him not means that if he says something, you be very careful that you do that. Because if you don't do what he tells you to do, Moses, you will have provoked him. And I want to say to you, don't provoke him. You say, does any of this have any bearing on me in my life? Yes, it does. Not exactly in the same way as it had on Moses and the children of Israel, but in the fulfillment of what this type is, that has bearing on your life and mine. He said, Provoke him not, for he will not pardon your transgressions. He will not pardon your transgressions if you say to the angel, Oh, sorry, I, 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 I'm I, sorry I didn't uh, do that when you said that I should go there. I'm sorry I didn't walk when you said we should walk. I'm sorry I didn't stop when you said we should stop. But he won't forgive it. The Lord said, Lord God said, The angel will not forgive your transgressions. He'll not pardon them. He said, because my name is in him. What does that mean? He said, my name is in him, which means my presence is in this angel. So the idea is, you're really not being led by an angel. You're being led by me. 
because my presence is in this angel, this messenger from me. My presence is in him. My word is in him. My mind is in him. My will is in him. What he says is what I have told him to say. So you are being led by me. But my presence is manifest among you and in front of you by the messenger I have sent who is an angel from heaven. Then he said, but if you shall indeed obey his voice. Now this comes promises. See, there, there are promises for obedience. There are consequences for disobedience. The promises for obedience is, he said, if you shall indeed obey his voice and do all that I speak, then I will be an enemy unto your enemies and an adversary unto your adversaries. I'll be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. Think about that. Just think about that. What were their enemies? What would their adversaries be? What are your enemies? Do you have adversaries? Is there a place and a provision made where the Lord God would say, I'll be an enemy to your enemies? And I'll be an adversary to your adversaries? The answer to that is yes. But that's a special place that we are called to. That's a special place that we're called to. I want to say something to you this morning that I know to be true. Obviously, I don't plan on saying things to you that I know not to be true. <laughs> it's like a man I knew who went to court one time as a police officer, and he was asked a question by the judge, and he said this. He said, well, to tell you the truth, Your Honor, and the judge said very quickly to him, have you not been telling me the truth the whole time? <laughs> so, uh, what, I, what I want to say is that we are entering into a period of time where there is a level of light being given to us. We're entering into a period of time where there's an insight being given to us, an understanding that's being provided and offered to us. And we need to take advantage of it. Because while the culture is darkening around us, at the same time that the culture is darkening around us, there is a light that is being offered to those who will see it and accept it and walk in it. In verse 23, the Lord said, For my angel shall go before thee, and he'll bring thee into the, he'll bring you unto the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites, and I will cut them off. And the idea is, all these people groups then who are inhabiting the land of Canaan, and this land belongs to God, not to them. It's God's land. still is. The land belongs to the Lord. And the Lord said, these people have violated their tenancy. And if you had people living in an apartment that belonged to you, and they were wrecking the place, then you would have every right to have them evicted. And you would take the legal steps required to have them evicted from your property because they have violated the tenancy by destroying the property that belongs to you and devaluing it. And these people groups were doing that morally, ethically, in every way, spiritually, as they lived in this land. And it was time for those people to be moved from the land. And those very people were the enemies and the adversaries 
of God's people. Because those were the people who were standing against their occupation of the land. The promise of the Lord was, this land is yours, and I'm calling you to go into that land. The enemies and the adversaries are the people groups who are now in the land who need to be removed from the land. And your enemies and adversaries are anything that stands in your way of occupying the promises that you have been given in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Anything that prevents us from walking in the fullness of the provision is an enemy and an adversary. And the Lord said, if you're obedient to me, I'll be an enemy to those things and I'll be an enemy to your adversaries. Let me read a couple of passages with you this morning. Jesus essentially taught as he came and lived among us for a short period of time. He, he taught, basically he said to them, follow me, follow me, follow me. He, he talked to them about counting the cost and being willing to follow him. He said it won't be easy. He said the birds have nests and foxes, you know, they have their dens and so on, but the Son of Man doesn't have any place to lay his head. And he said you have to count the cost. And you can't begin to follow me and then turn back, he said. Let me read a couple of passages of Scripture, words of Jesus and see if you can see the correlation, the comparison here. Jesus said, Don't think that I am come to send peace on earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. I thought he was the Prince of Peace. Yes, he is. He said, I didn't come to bring peace. I've come to bring a sword. Listen, I am come to set a man at variance against his father and the daughter against her mother and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's foes shall be they of his own household. Jesus is saying there's going to be hindrances right in your own natural families to your walking and following me. There'll be hindrances in your families to your following me exclusively and exactly as I call you to. And you're going to have to take that into consideration and account. He said, He that loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he that taketh not his cross and follows after me is not worthy of me. He that finds his life shall lose it, and he that loses his life for my sake shall find it, and I'm saying this morning, this is very clear, that this is the test of whether or not we're following him. You see, the idea that God gave to Moses and the children of Israel was, I'm going to send my messenger before you and you follow him and you obey him. The ultimate messenger, of course, has already been sent. The Lord Jesus Christ, he said, follow me. And he said, it's not going to be easy to follow me. But the point is, there are blessings that follow the obedient follower. And there are consequences that follow when we do not follow obediently. You say, is it always easy to follow obediently? And the answer is, no, it's not always easy. And sometimes it demands everything of us. 
That's why Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like a man who finds a treasure buried in the field and goes and sells everything that he has so that he can come and buy the field so that he can possess the treasure. The cost of the treasure or the kingdom of heaven is basically not in dollars and cents, but it is a willingness to give everything that we have in terms of our own willful way. He said in another place, he said, And Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that you which have followed me in the regeneration when the Son of Man shall sit on the throne of his glory, you also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And then he said this, And every one that has forsaken houses, or brethren, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lambs, for my name's sake, shall receive a hundredfold and shall inherit everlasting life. I'm going to go back to Exodus again, the 23rd chapter, and verse 24 now, and look very carefully with me as, as this is laid out. The Lord said, Thou shalt not bow down to their gods, that is, in the peoples of the land, Thou shalt not bow down to their gods, nor serve them, nor do after their works. But thou shalt utterly overthrow them and quite break down their images. He said, And you shall serve the Lord your God, and he shall bless thy bread and thy water, and I will take sickness away from the midst of thee. Now these are the blessings that follow the obedience. He said, I'll bless your provision. I'll bless your bread and your water. That is your provision, your means of sustenance. He said, I will take sickness away from the midst of thee. He said, there shall nothing cast their young, nor be barren in the land. The number of thy days I will fulfill. He said, if there's a certain number of years that are assigned to you, you will enjoy and live out the full number of years that you have been assigned. There will not be a reduction of time for you because of disobedience. But if you walk and follow me, in this case the angel that goes before you, who my presence is in him, then you will not have any miscarriages. There will be no miscarriages among you with your flocks or your families. No one will be barren in the land, and the number of your days I will fulfill. Then he said, I will send my fear before you, and will destroy all the people to whom thou shalt come, and I will make all thine enemies turn their backs unto thee. Well, you see the picture. When an enemy turns his back to you, that means your enemy is running away from you. And the enemy is not running away from you because of your ferocity but or your strength the enemy is running away from you because the fear of the Lord has been placed in the enemy and that's what the Lord said he would do are these principles still in existence absolutely yes absolutely yes he said I will send hornets before thee which shall drive out the Hivite the Canaanite the Hittite from before thee He said, I will not drive them out from before thee in one year, lest the land become desolate and the beasts of the field multiply against thee. 
But little by little I will drive them out from before thee until thou be increased and inherit the land. If you were to open your Bible and read in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 21, you would read that all truth is in Jesus. All truth is in Jesus. Of course, that means all truth of the gospel. And if you read commentaries on scripture, you'll find that it's saying all gospel truth is to be found in Jesus. And that's true. And I want to enlarge on that and say to you this morning that there is no truth anywhere that is not found in Jesus or emanate from him. No truth anywhere. There is not a truth that belongs to God and a truth that belongs to somebody else. There is no truth anywhere that does not originate in God. The adversary, Satan, does not have any truth. The adversary is a liar and a perverter of truth. But the adversary is not an originator of any truth. So all truth is in Jesus. I want to expand this a little bit with you this morning. And take this now into various areas of our life that sometimes we don't go into. In order to do that, I want to go back to years ago, about 35 years ago, when we had youth retreats, and we had a youth retreat for young men. And I think we started at the age of 13 and went up to 20, whatever it was. And the same with young girls. In a youth retreat for men, I brought on one certain morning... I brought what I referred to a day in the life of Hector. A day in the life of Hector. And what I did is I gave various examples of events that happened in a particular day in the life of a young man, young boy, named Hector. And then I asked them what they would do if confronted with that specific set of circumstances. And we did the same thing with the retreat for the young girls Only now, we didn't have a day in the life of Hector. We had a day in the life of, guess who? Hilda. So we had a day in the life of Hector for the boys, a day in the life of Hilda for the girls. This morning, I'm going to return to that analogy, and I'm going to say a day in your life. A day in your life. Not Hector. A day in your life. Now, on any given day, in any given day of the week, you go about your routine. And as you go about your routine, perhaps you go to work. Perhaps you go to employment. You may work at home, but you'll have some kind of social engagement during that day. It may be at work. It may be in a different circumstance. But suppose now, during that day, here's somebody comes along, and they are just one of the humorous people. And every group in society has the humorous people. And the humorous people can be kind of fun, and they can make the day go quickly. But sometimes these humorous people take it upon themselves to communicate a joke. And the joke is really not right. There's content in the joke. That the angel of the Lord, if he's walking in front of you, You say, do angels of the Lord still walk with us? The answer is yes. The answer is yes. The angels of the Lord walk with us, but the Spirit of the Lord walks with us and knows everything all the time and records everything all the time. Everything is recorded. Everything is recorded. 
the thoughts of your heart are recorded, not just what you say, what we say. And while this joke is being spoken and shared, and it's uh, it's it's colored. There's color in the joke. There's color in there. It's impure. It has innuendo in it. And what do you do? What do you do? Do you smile? Do you laugh? Do you enter into the joke? Or do you not? And the messenger of the Lord sees and knows. Now I want to say that there are blessings for obedience, but the obedience is not just Sunday morning and it's not just in prayer meeting and it's not just on what we think of big things in our lives. The obedience is the leading of the Spirit of the Lord every moment of every day and our willingness to agree with Him and walk with Him and uh, be obedient to what He says. Disobedience, what disobedience does, disobedience moves a person over into a category of being ineligible for these wonderful promises the Lord has given. Where he said, I'm going to take the sickness away, I'm going to, you know, uh, I'm going to bless your flocks, and uh, there's not going to be any miscarriage among you, and all these different things, these great blessings. So obedience now is to include oneself into these promises, and disobedience is to take ourselves or exclude ourselves from it. We don't think about this th- these things, but we need to think about these things. Because there are answers here that uh, will answer a lot of questions that you and I all have. A little bit later on in that same day, perhaps there's someone who begins to come along with the story. Did you hear what? Did you hear about so and so? Did you hear? Did you hear about? Uh, let's call him John. You know, uh, did you hear about John? Well, what happened to John? Well, this. So now there's an unproven kind of allegation, which is. Um, being presented by this individual now about John. It's a gossip. What do you do? Do you listen to that? Do you receive that? If you receive that, you are angering the angel of the Lord who leads your angering, frustrating, disobeying the spirit of the Lord who leads us in truth. Never ever take an allegation against anyone. Never enter into gossip about anything or anyone. And to do that is to exclude ourselves, make ourselves ineligible for these great blessings that are promised. That it does. It absolutely does. We don't know it, but it does. Well now, so lunchtime. It comes lunchtime now in this day. And here's lunchtime. And you go out with the friends and you have your lunch. And you know that there's something on that table, on that menu, and you like that. You like that. I won't name it because I won't let you name it in your own mind. But you like that. But you know that you should not eat that. Why not? Because you know that because of your health and constitution and medical vulnerabilities, as a human being, that that is not good for you. You know that you should not eat that because that's not good for you to eat that. 
you know that you're injuring your health by doing it. But you say, I like that. And everybody else is having that, so I'm going to have that too. You say that's disobedience? Absolutely it's disobedience. It's disobedience against the truth. There is no truth anywhere except that comes ultimately from the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the author of truth. So to take that which I know or one knows is harmful to me is to operate against the truth and to offend the messenger of the Lord that leads us. We don't think about it. It's a transgression against the truth. It's wrong. And when we do that, we make ourselves ineligible for these blessings that have been promised to the one who walks in the way according to the word that the Lord has given them. There is nothing that's too small that it doesn't fit in this. And on the way home during that day from work, on the way home from work, let's say, there's a program that comes on your television set at 5.30 in the afternoon. And you say to yourself, oh, I really want to get home by 5.30. And the speed limit is posted on the highway. And so you just say, well, I'm going to make it home by 5.30 because I want to watch that program from the beginning. And so I'm just going to disregard that speed limit. On that. You say, the speed limit, does that have anything to do with any of this? Absolutely, yes. Yes. Yes, it does. To willfully violate it is a transgression. And is to walk in opposition to the truth and what is right. And you know it's not right. And if that certain colored car was sitting behind you, you would not be doing it. You say, do we make ourselves ineligible by these seemingly innocuous little things and transgressions? And the answer is yes. And the consequences are too serious not to be aware of these things. And we're reaping the consequences of this in many ways all the time, and we don't even know it. Now, if you need to be home by 5.30, because there's some kind of emergency that requires you to be home by 5.30, an emergency something of vital significance and importance, then that's different. If you're taking your wife to the hospital and she's about to give birth and there's a little sign on the side of the highway that says 90 or whatever it says, you can ignore that in good conscience and be while you're reasonable. We're not saying that. We're saying that to satisfy our personal preferences, we violate things on a regular basis and do those things that we know to be wrong. I want to come to a conclusion. I want to come to 1 John. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 5. And somebody would say, well, haven't we all haven't we all violated that if you want to look at things that you know exhaustively exactly it's not that I want to look at them that exactly. I'm saying that the Lord says, look at them that exactly. He's the one that sets the rules. And so I come to 1 John chapter 1. And this is the remedy, of course, and we'll close with the remedy. 
how then would we put ourselves back in the right position where we would be again eligible to receive the blessings that the Lord has promised for obedience? And this passage is, deals with walking in the light. Let me read this to you as we close. This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, you say some of these little things that we have touched on briefly this morning, would those be sins? The answer is yes, they are. They're violations of the leading of the Spirit of God who is the Spirit of Truth. And they must be repented of and they must be forgiven. And until they are repented and confessed and repented and forgiven, then the person is really not eligible then to receive these promises of obedience. Say, that sounds harsh. No, it's not harsh. It's the way that the Lord has provided for us. And so he says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Then now, the individual believer now becomes pure, undefiled, and eligible to receive the blessings that follow obedience. And if you wonder sometimes why things, why prayers aren't answered, why blessings don't come, and why various things that are prayed for are not manifested, look here. Look here. Look here. Look here. And if while looking here we find and discover in ourselves that there is transgression that needs to be forgiven, then we come to this passage of Scripture and we claim it and stand on it. And it says if we confess our sins, that He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is what we need in order to begin to walk again in the way that we have been called to walk. I'll close by reading as I began in Exodus 23 and verse 20. The Lord said, Behold, I am sending an angel before thee to keep thee in the way and to bring thee into the place which I have prepared. Beware of him and obey his voice. Provoke him not. For he will not pardon your transgressions, for my name is in him. But if you shall indeed obey his voice and do all that I speak, then I will be an enemy unto your enemies and an adversary unto your adversaries. For my angels shall go before thee and bring thee into the land that I have prepared for you. You shall not bow down in this land. You shall not bow down to their gods, nor serve them, nor do after their works. But you shall utterly overthrow them and quite break down their images. 
and you shall serve the Lord your God, and he shall bless your bread and your water. And I will take sickness away from the midst of thee. There shall nothing cast their young nor be barren in the land the number of your days. I will fulfill. These are the blessings that follow obedience. If you would like to read more on this particular area of thought, go to Deuteronomy chapter 28 and read the entire chapter. Blessings that follow obedience. The curses that follow disobedience.